Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor, where new signings are guaranteed a great debut. Join and choose your welcome offer at betvictor.com. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Welcome to episode 8 of VAR at the Bar. I'm Dan, and I'm joined by... Um, I'm Chris. Welcome, gents. Um, once again, we're not at the bar. Myself and Chris are in the uh, lockdown area in Leicester. How are you finding your freedom, man? I'll be honest with you, I've not actually been out that much. Uh, what a waste. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Mainly because most of my friends are in lockdown. So. <laughs> there you go, you see. Right then, Dan, what have we got today? Well, we're going to start it off by doing a bit of a roundup on Serie A, put the spotlight on the Italian League. And then I've tasked you all with putting together your top five Italian players from the Premier League. And then I'm going to go into a new feature, the good, the bad, the obscure. I'll introduce that with a bit more info later. And we're going to have a big top ten on the dirtiest players, oh. which uh, <laughs> I think we've all enjoyed putting that list. Hey. <laughs> and then Chris is going to update us with Warnock Watch. Yes. Yeah. And then we're going to have a little quiz. Sounds good to me. All right. Yeah. But before we get on to all that good fun stuff, so in the news this week... Man City had their ban overturned for the Champions League, so they're now going to be able to compete in the competition next season. What are your thoughts on that, Chris? Absolutely, Travis C, mate. I'll be honest with you. And that's just pointing kindly. I, I can't believe that they've not been given any sort of ban whatsoever. Um, because AC Milan did exactly the same thing, and they were, they were given a two-year ban, but it was reduced to one year. And the, the thing that I don't get is that the media have said, well, they've been found not guilty, but they still had to fi- pay a fine. So where's that? I, I don't see where that weighs, it, weighs up, in my opinion, because then if they're paying a fine, then they're guilty. So then they should really have a ban, in my opinion, without saying ban too many times in the same sentence. <laughs> um, it's also that Cass came out and said, they didn't come out and say we, we found no evidence. They came out and said we found insignificant evidence or evidence of stuff that's gone on way back when, which is obviously that's a racist problem for taking too long to act on it. If they come out and said we've got no evidence, then fair enough, you know, overturn the ban. But they've said it's in, so there must be something there. Yeah, it sounded to me like uh, there was an indiscrepancy about the route of some funding, and now they've presented more information around that data, which to me seems a bit bizarre that this whole thing goes back to four years ago anyway. And now suddenly they've been able to declare where this funding came from. It's all a bit bizarre to me. I, I mean, I mean to put it like to the standard Mr. Smith of this world, like it doesn't sit right, does it? Pardon my friend. <laughs> Yeah, it's not their first offence, and they've gone from a two-year ban to a, a fine. It just doesn't seem like the punishment's the same as the crime. I, I don't get it. But anyway, they're in it next year. They'll probably win it this year. 
Right. So next we're going to be looking at Serie A, the Italian yes. league. So as you'll see from the league table at the moment, surprise, surprise, Juventus are on top. They're currently on 77 points, got five games to go, and then next closest team is into 71 points. They've got a six-point cushion as they go into the running. So do you think it's fair to say Juventus is going to be champions? Unfortunately so. Unfortunately? Um, you're not a fan? Well, before lockdown, it was a three-way fight, and Lazio on the same points as uh, Juventus, and into a couple of points behind. But Lazio came out and just... Um, Played atrociously, they've sort of lost three on the trot. I think there's a lot of discontent at Juventus anyway with Sari. Like, unfortunately for the guy, the problem he had at Chelsea. It's the style of football that they're not happy with. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can't really see anyone barring Juventus really winning that. As much as I like to see an Atalanta or someone like that coming from from behind, I just can't see see it happening. Yeah, I have to agree. And like you touched on, it was before the lockdown, it was looking like a really good running, really good race for the title. There were some real contenders there with um, Immobile was banging the goals for Lazio. And they looked like they were on a serious run. But since the restart, I mean, they've, they've dropped like a stone, haven't they? Lazio, their form has been awful. And um, Inter, they've been inconsistent. It's Atalanta have caused up a little bit, if anything. I mean, I'm, I'm really impressed, to be honest, with um, Atalanta. They they seem to have a, a real good structure on how they, they their signings that they make as well and how the clubs run. It just seems like it's a really sort of a fun place to play. They just pull out attack every single game. Um, and I think if they keep their players, which is obviously a massive if, they could be, be uh, maybe in the next um, next year. I hope so. They've, they've started to show a bit of consistency in top four finishes and appearing in the Champions League. And it really jumps off the page when you read that they've got 94 goals in 34 games. It's not many Italian teams that play that way, are there? It's different. Now looking down towards the bottom of Syria, you've got uh, poor old Spal and Brescia on 19 and 21 points. I think it's fair to say that they're not going to survive. And then uh, 18th spot, you've got Lecce, 17th, Genoa. Uh, do you reckon Udinese, Torino, do you reckon they'll get dragged into it? I would probably maybe go Torino, personally, because I think they've had a lot of problems off the field. Um, but you just never know with Italian football. It's all... <laughs> it's a bit random, isn't it? They might suddenly get a couple of results... Now we're going to stick with the Italian theme and look at our top five Italian players to play in the Premiership. So this is purely based on Premier League performances. How do you find putting your list together for this one? I had me top four pretty much nailed on and then it was sort of picking names out of the hat for number five, if I'm being honest. I'll be honest with you, I didn't know there was so little sort of Italian players. That yeah, there's that it, as well. It was an eye-opener, yeah. That actually made it in... The Premier League, with all due respect, there's a lot yeah. of big names that came but just didn't do anything. 100%. That's what I found was interesting when I, I had the idea for this list. It's trying to think of people, trying to think of Italian players that have made a real impact in the Premier League, and there's, there's not many at all. So, like you said, I'm, I'm putting the top five together, a lot of them are nailed on, really. But um, I did find one that I was going to start it at five, and I thought, actually, you know what? Probably number four, not number five. So um, that might be uh, my surprise. 
All right, we'll kick it off then. We'll go to Chris first. Your number five, please. Yeah, no problem. I'm going with uh, Mr. Balotelli, Mario, Super Mario. Oh, why always him? Why always <laughs> me? <laughs> no, I mean, look, he, I'm going with his Man City days because at Liverpool was a pretty great time for him anyway. And he actually spent three years at Man City and he made 80 appearances with actually scoring 30 goals, which I think is quite a good, good rate really, for somebody who made a lot, a lot of controversy off the pitch, with setting off fireworks from his house, etc., etc. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and he, he scored some big goals, wasn't he? Didn't he? And he's, he, he sort of, in the big games, he stepped up, like the two goals against Man United at Old Trafford, the, the why always me, the 6-1 drubbing that they gave Man U. Um, his best season... He actually um, scored 17 goals in all competitions, which I think is pretty, pretty good. And he was destined for big things. And obviously, he was the one that assisted the famous Aguero goal that helped them win. That is only assist, isn't it? It is, (laughs) indeed, yeah. Which which is even more of a remarkable stat. Um, But he just... in the big when Man, Man City needed needed him, he was there. Um, but yeah, that's why I put him at number five. It's just a shame, really, that we can't be talking about him in more positive terms because I think he had the talent there to be, if not the best ever Italian export that played in the Premier League comfortably. No, you made a good case there. Um, I'll be honest, I've not put him on my list. I saw him as a little bit of a, a flop and an underachiever. But you've given some good stats there and you've reminded me of some important goals that he scored. So, oh, so that's a case well made, Chris. I like that. All right, Ant, who's your number five on, on your list? Okay, so um, my number five is Attilio Lombardo. Now, I appreciate that there are better talented players and probably more of an impact in the Premier League. But when I looked into him... He only actually played 24 Premier League games. Uh, he scored five. He set up two. Um, Palace were 10th when he got injured. And when he came back, they were bottom. And that's when he took over as um, player manager. Yeah. And he ended up, uh, I think he only ended up playing something like 50 games for Palace. And he made it into their um, centenary eleven. Which I don't think many players, having played so few games for a club, are so well respected by uh, a group of fans. He, he made an impact for Palace. I think that's a fair. Yeah. That's a fair enough point. I mean, for someone then to take the care, take take a manager job as well, straight up, straight into it, is just shows obviously how much of a fan favourite he was and confident in his own ability as well. And you have to remember, he came from, I think he came from Sampdoria and he was still a pretty decent player then. And he went to Crystal Palace. Yeah. It's quite an odd, it, odd move. I mean, we get this though. It's a, I mean, as further down the list we'll go, you know, there's some odd moves for incredibly big players um, who played in Italy, especially. And you, you sort of look, look back on it and go, that would never happen now, say, if someone of that sort of stature in Italy were to move to, like, say, a Palace, and I'm sure we're going to name other players on the list, we won't reveal them now, but that I've done a similar thing. And you just think, why have you not gone to a top six club? 
Yeah, he's a great talent. I, I always like Lombardo. Uh, he's not. He's only on my list purely because of the amount of games he played for Palace. But you, it was it was there or thereabouts. Though he's a great player. Good pick. Right, my number five. I've gone for Roberto Di Matteo. Ooh. I'm guessing that he's he's on your list. Am I right? He's, he's my number three. Number four. Yeah. So um, he had a great run at Chelsea, didn't he? He joined in 96 and uh, he retired in 2002. Played 119 games, scored 26 goals, which is a great return, really, from a box-to-box midfielder. What are your memories of uh, Di Matteo, apart from that uh, legendary FA Cup final goal? That was what I was going to say, that legendary <laughs> FA Cup final. Yeah. No, I, I you know... I, um... I always enjoyed watching him, even even as a as a, as a rival fan. I was a, a massive fan of the way he played. He was a great pass of the ball. You know, he had a nice goal. He was super skillful. He just seemed a genuinely nice guy. And I actually, I was actually quite pleased that he won various trophies for Chelsea when he became the manager, except for the one against Liverpool in the FA Cup final. <laughs> I was quite pleased they won the Champions League. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, you guys have hit hit the nail on the head with him. Um, very steady player, wasn't he? I mean, he came at the, the right time as well. Hoodit was manager and he start, Hoodit started bringing, out, bringing players from the continent in, didn't he? And everyone sort of in the Premier League was like, oh my God, God, what are these players? You know, how do you manage to get this? I mean, he came from Lazio, didn't he, in 96? Um, but yeah, I mean, fantastic. I, again, I seem to be saying this a lot, but he was an, another underrated player. All right. You know, you, you sort of almost took him for granted in the centre of midfield. Uh, and he was a great, great, like I say, a great passer and box-to-box midfielder, really, who had a, a, a terrific long-range shot. Yeah. So maybe yeah. I've underrated him as well, putting him at number five. <laughs> no, I'll put him at number four, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Ant, who have you put at number four, please? Uh, I've gone for Carlo Cudicini. Yeah, I don't know if he's on any of your lists. Uh, the reason yeah. I put him in, he is okay. Right. Yeah, number three for me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um, you know, he's considering he's been a backup keeper pretty much for most of his Premiership career. He's kept, uh, provided I got his stats right, he kept seventy-one clean sheets and one hundred and sixty-one full appearances. And you also have to remember he battled back from a serious motorbike accident as well. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he, he was a fantastic penalty stopper. I think he saved six out of twelve penalties in oh five oh six. And wow. it's just, it's, it's a shame, really, that he's always been a number two because he, he he deserved to be a number one at another club. Uh, you know, that, that was his decision. That he, he went for teams that had other good goalkeepers in the mix, like Chelsea and Tottenham. He did get a run as the first team keeper, didn't he? He uh, he made 141 appearances for Chelsea, and in 2002-2003, he was voted the best goalkeeper in the Premier League. Uh, that was a yeah. an award by ITV Television, though. So take that with a pinch of salt. <laughs> no, I mean I could I basically echo what you guys have said. Really, he's he's not on my top five list, to be honest. Um, that's only because I I put. Mr. Balotelli on there. He was, he was very close to him thing. Um, again, another underrated player, I think. Um, I think maybe if he went to a move down 
to maybe a mid-table team, he might have got a lot more time. But he obviously thought at that time that, no, I'm, I'm going to stick with my guns and carry on playing for these teams. And every time I've seen him, he was just very consistent, wasn't he? Yeah. All right. Now, my number four, I've gone for Graziano Pella. I, I seriously considered him. He was he was one of my uh, ones out the hat and number five. <laughs> yeah, I, I was kind of the same. But the more I thought about it and the more I looked at his stats, the more I thought, you know what, this guy's actually an underrated player. He was quality. I'll, um, I'll read you a few of his stats. From 2012 was his breakout season on loan at Feyenoord. He scored 27 goals in 29 games. They then signed him permanently after a loan spell. While it was a permanent signing, he scored 23 goals in 28 games. Then he got his move to Southampton and he scored 23 goals in 68 games in the Premier League. And then since he's moved to China, he scored 44 goals in 88 games. For the Italian national team, he scored nine goals in 20 games. That's that's a pretty good return, that is, for a strike. One in two every two games, isn't it, really? Yeah, not far off, and also, he was uh, so dominant in the air. He was uh, a proper number nine. I like that about his game. He was um, as a threat every time a ball went in the box. So I, I thought he was a great striker. Good left foot on him as well. Quite skillful on the on the ground, if I remember rightly. Chris, you're number three. Yeah, no worries. I've got I've gone with Mr. Ravinelli. He's had two stints, obviously, in the Premier League, but his first stint at Middlesbrough. Is what I'm looking at mainly. You know, Hatrick on his debut against Liverpool, that three all draw. Um, great start to the season that was, wasn't it? <laughs> the first game. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, in that, well, only at Middlesbrough for one season, but he managed to get them to two cup finals. Um, he scored 16 goals in 33 games as well. And uh, then I've, I have put a few notes about him at Derby as well. Made 31 appearances at Derby, scored nine goals. Um, and just as a bit of a fascinating fact, he moved to, to Derby, but they went through massive issues with financial fair play. And he still is still now owed um, wages from that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, well, I was he was delighted to see them sign Wayne Rooney on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, in front of goal, he just—he's he, an old school striker, isn't he? A real jack in the box. He can—he's got had a good left foot, good in the air as well. Um, and really, it was a bit in that, in those times. It was one really from the left field, wasn't it, for the top six clubs? Because at that time, Middlesbrough were only in the, the the Premier League, I think, for one season, finished mid mid table, and then. Uh, Somebody of that sort of stature moving to them must have shook shook them a little bit, um, especially the top six. I just thought, just for his stint at Middlesbrough, to get them into two cup finals as well, you've got to put him in the top three, really, for that, just alone in one year to get you, your team there. Is he on your list at all, then? No, um, I didn't put him in. Um, I, 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 I can see what, where Chris is coming from. Um, but I sort of took it as Premier League only, and obviously he failed to keep him up. I know it's not. I know it wasn't his sole responsibility, and he no, also no, no. He, he had a, he had a reputation of being a bit of um, 
he wasn't very well liked by his teammates, I don't think. I think he, he alienated himself massively from them. Well, I'd go a step further. I remember seeing a match where he had a, an argument on the pitch with Nigel Pearson over who's going to take a throw-in. And when he, when he took the throw-in, he threw it back to another defender. And Pearson was fuming. <laughs> you just don't do that to your club captain. Um, but also, like you say, Ant, he, he didn't keep them up. Um, he had one season in the Premier League and the club got relegated. So although he got goals and he was a good player, I don't feel like he had a big impact on the Premier League. So he didn't quite make my list either. But I did consider him. OK, so that's uh, your number three. Ant, have you got... Uh, who's your number three? Uh, Di Matteo. OK, so... Number three on my list, I had Cudicini. Chris, who's your number two? My number two, Mr. Paolo Di Cagno. He's my number two as well. Oh, I got number one. Did you? Yeah. It was very tight, to be honest, between my two. Yeah, no, it was. It was very tight. I was almost tempted to actually put them both as equal because the stats are very similar as well. Um, I mean, I've got here as a broad, broad as his whole, whole uh, premiership career. Sorry, um, appearances 190, goals 66, assistant uh, assists, sorry, 49. Um, obviously, he played for three clubs, didn't he? Sheffield Wednesday, West Ham, and Charlton. Um, we always found him, though. I don't know whether you heard the story about Fergie was sniffing around um, uh, yeah, yeah. in his time. Yeah, yeah, and he um, he said he didn't want to leave because he thought yeah. um, that he was very loyal to to Harry Redknapp because he said he was the one that brought him back up from the the trenches and and sorted. That's kind of what swayed me to putting him at number one. I know obviously he'd had the incident with the referee to start with to put him down the trenches. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I just thought he. he Sort of more or less completely changed personality. He became much more of a sportsman, and he's just he's, he's loved by every club he's been to. Exactly. I know Zola's massively loved by Chelsea, and right yeah. so. Um, I, I don't know. For me, De Canio just swayed it ever so slightly. Yeah, I mean that that loyalness. Like you always hear, you know, like we all joke about the attack. Whenever someone says Paolo De Canio, you always go, "Oh, he's on that push the ref." But you never hear these little acts of loyalty that he's shown to people and I mean he could have easily put put himself into that Man U team and it could have t- totally have changed a few people's careers you know even the ones that were coming up from Man U um, I mean he, he actually had two years at West Ham um, in successive seasons so 99 to 1000 and 1000 to 01 where he scored 16 Premier League goals and you think back back then they probably had he wasn't even playing as a striker. He was probably the, the winger because you had Hearts in there, I think. Maybe Defoe? Yeah, I, I went the same as you, Chris. I had Di Canio as number two and Zola as one. You do it the way around, Ant. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Probably the way in, my, in the back of my head that I probably shifted it was probably because Zola was a little bit less controversial, maybe, <laughs> Is the way I looked at it. You say De Canio is controversial, he is, but he's still liked by a lot of people, even neutrals. You wouldn't get that with Barton or Balotelli or Craig Bellamy or you know, all the other controversial figures in football. Yeah, exactly. 
Okay. Uh, I went for Zola at number one. Uh, so at Chelsea, he made 229 Premier League appearances and scored 59 goals. And this is for a player who really is probably more renowned for his technical dribbling ability, his vision of passing and his assists, uh, bringing teammates into play. But his record at Chelsea was just outstanding. He, he really had an impact on, on the Premier League, in my opinion. Uh, I think when he joined, people marvelled at the quality of his football. Uh, he was named the Football Writers Football of the Year in 1997. I just thought it was a quality player. But his best season was his last season at Chelsea as well, which is even more of a, yeah. just shows just what sort of caliber player he was. 14 Premier League goals on his final season, voted player of the season at Chelsea as well. Were there, were there any other guys that you considered who didn't quite make your list? Um, Ravinelli, Stefania Aranio and um, Pele were the only other ones I looked at. Chris? I Benito Carboni. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, Carboni, yeah. For me, there was um, uh, Alessandro Pistoni, was the other one that I was considering. Now, the next thing I wanted to cover is a, a new segment for the show. We call it The Good, The Bad and The Obscure. So the point of this is that we wanted to put some players in the spotlight who wouldn't necessarily make any of our top tens or top five lists. And it gives us a little bit of a license to indulge into some of the backstories of some of the lesser known footballers, perhaps. Uh, and this was your brainchild. Anything else you want to add on the introduction to it? No, I think you've uh, you've hit the nail on the head, really. Okay, so the first player for the the good, the bad, and the obscure is John Williams. Have you heard Wouldn't of this guy? Composer. <laughs> yeah, very good one. Yeah, <laughs> John Williams. John Williams. He uh, played in the Premier League for Coventry City. I think I vaguely remember having a sticker of him back in about 95 or something like that. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll give you a bit more of a backstory. Now, in uh, 1992, John Williams was playing for Swansea City. And he was just starting out in the first year of his professional career. Now, in 1992, there was a uh, sponsor of the English Football League Cup was Rumbelows. And Rumbelows decided they wanted to have a competition for a 100-metre sprint challenge and that the final would be ran on the cup final day. So prior to the final, they had lots of heats where every single club, all 92 English Football League clubs, selected their fastest player and there were heats where they ran sprint competitions. And John Williams, representing Swansea City, qualified for the final and he got his expenses paid to go to uh, London and to appear on the sprint final at Wembley Stadium. And he was allowed to take one other person with him. So he took one of his teammates, John Ford, because it was his birthday. Now, because it was his birthday, they felt obliged to celebrate his birthday. So the night before this sprint challenge, they went out for a few drinks. And I'll read you a quote from John Williams, who says, of course, one became two, two became three, became four. We had a bottle of champagne. And after that, we got on the spirits. I was paralytic. <laughs> 
I think I ended up back in my room at 3 a.m. I threw up. The next thing I knew, I was waking up in a bath with John spraying me in the face with cold water, saying, we're late, we're late. (laughs) So they had to go to Wembley Stadium. They did make it on time. He had a hangover, and he had played a 90 minutes the day before as well at Darlington. So he had to travel from Darlington down to London, and then he went out. (laughs) And he, uh, he won this sprint challenge with a hangover. (laughs) <laughs> that's brilliant absolutely brilliant I think this can be filed under obscure <laughs> yeah I'd say so uh, he won a check for £10,000 for that from Rumbelows and uh, it actually caught the attention of Coventry City who signed him that summer and mm-hmm. on his debut for Coventry his league debut against Middlesbrough on the 15th of August 1992 he uh, got his First goal for the club early in the match. Unfortunately, it was five minutes after Brian Dean scored. First ever Premier League goal. Oh. So, yeah, he's yeah, close. He could have been remembered for the rest of the time. So that's a quiz question everyone knows the answer to. He also had an interesting nickname, which uh, because of his uh, ability to run fast and due to a previous job he had before he turned professional, he was known as the Flying Postman. <laughs> <laughs> You've, uh, yeah, you've certainly come out with a with an absolute humding on the first one. Set the bar very high, Dan. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I can only be happy that it's not me next time. Let's go into this list that one of our listeners, Alex, sent in. Top 10 dirty players. How you found this one, though? Depends what you define as dirty. You've got different um, different types of dirtiness. You've got your full-on hard men that want to get lumps out of you. And you've got ones that basically commit criminal crimes on the pitch. And then you've got the ones that are perhaps a bit cynical and you could argue are tactical. It's yeah. a very fine line, isn't it, on which way you go with it? Because you could gladfully put 20 cynical foulers in in on it, but then you've got to look at, at things maybe sort of a bit, turn it upside down and look at the people that cheat to get other people sent off or that sort of dirty play, not just your people that would break people's legs. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally know. agree. There's um, there's different criteria, and throughout my list, there's uh, there's, there's people that are on here for different reasons. So it's going to be an interesting one. I, I've really enjoyed putting this list together. I don't know about you guys. No, it's been very good. I thank you very much to Stu and Al Pod for coming up with this. It's just given me about three hours of uh, a massive headache on uh, who to pick. <laughs> 
Okay, well, let's kick it off then. So starting at number 10, Ant, who have you got, please? Number 10, uh, I've gone Vinnie Jones. You know, he, he was famous for early crunching tackles and uh, he, he holds the record for, I think it was the earliest booking, that three seconds or something. Every time he was on the pitch, he wanted to kick lumps out of people. And um, I, I remember reading that he was... Um, he got into trouble in 92 for appearing in a Soccer's Hard Men video and he offered advice on budding hard football players. And he got fined 20 grand for this and given a six-month ban for bringing the game into disrepute. In the same season, he got summoned to the FA headquarters because he got 40 disciplinary points and he didn't show up. And he, he later joked in, a, in an interview that uh, the FA wanted him there to thank him for bringing hooliganism away from the stands and into the onto the pitch. <laughs> Vinnie yeah. Jones is an interesting one. I find um, I find that his way of being a hard man was to scare people, wasn't it? It's the scare tactics, you know. Like you said, I remember reading. I think he might have been Gaza. I thought that Gaza wrote and. He sort of said to Gaza, "You're going to be dead by the end of the game," and stuff like that. Just threats. Did you have him anywhere near there, Dan? Or... I did. I've, I've put him at number eight. Um, but Ant's touched on all the good points. Uh, yeah, I think that video where he's trying to teach the people how to cheat, like grabbing hair under the armpits, how to elbow people as you're running by, so the refs can't see it. It's it's all as dirty as you can get, really. But it's not, you know, it's not necessarily in the realms of uh, criminal harmed people on the football field. <laughs> it's interesting because I read um, Vinnie Jones's biography as well, and he said he got with that that video that that wasn't meant to have been released. It was meant to have been done in a different way, and things were meant to have been edited out. Of course, to be honest, he was going to say something like that, wasn't he? All right, so who did you go for, number 10, Chris? Right then, mate. I mean, I looked at things on um, ways of, with the ways of cheating, how much that's affected other people and, in a, in a lot of cases, the other teams. And this one might shock you, but I'll put Thierry on me. And okay. that is the hand of God. 2009, France versus Ireland, playoffs. Um, At that time, first leg ended up 1-0 to France. Ireland played out of the skin to level it up. And then came the free kick. And Henri sort of handles it twice to then lay it up to Gallas to score. I just feel that the way the ball fell the first time, I don't know, have you seen it recently or have you guys seen it? I haven't seen it for a while. But it, it sort of hits him on the shoulder arm and you can almost go, fair enough. But then he's almost patted it down the second time. And That's I think blatant. the whole... Blatant, isn't it? Blatancy of it all. I mean, he's catching up for France at the time as well. And then um, following from that, obviously, there's a massive issue, wasn't there? I remember the news was going mad about it. And Henri was pretty embarrassed by his role, to be honest. Um, I heard an interview with Shay Given when I've been doing my research on this. And they asked him what, what it was like um, after the game, because that was basically the winning goal. 
and they won on extra time. That sent them to the World Cup. And you had, he said, basically, they had um, Giovanni Trapattoni as um, Irish manager at the time. He was swearing in Italian. And then obviously the players saw what happened and they were just throwing boots at the TV because a lot of them didn't actually see what happened. Even Shea Given himself said he didn't see until the slow motion um, of what what actually happened in front of him. Um, Time magazine later quoted on me as one of the biggest top sporting cheats of all time. I mean, that's a pretty big thing to say. I mean, he, they were linked him with people like Ben Johnson, if you ever heard of him, the sprinter that took yep. drugs. Tanya Harding as well, the figure skater that got... <laughs> okay. Tanya the field. <laughs> put, him on, put him on that sort of level, which I thought was pretty, pretty bad. It wasn't... It was pretty... It's bad, but I wouldn't have done put him on that sort of level. So, I mean, the only plus thing that came off, off it was... It sparked the debate for video refereeing and possible additional assistant referees. As much as he's had such a great, great uh, career, unfortunately, this one thing has has really, I think, put a massive blotch on it. But you you say he's put a blotch on his career, but he's still um, appearing on Sky Sports and smiling all the time. Do you think it really has? I think time's a great healer, isn't it? And people forget things very quickly. Like, I mean, I mentioned this one to, to Ant even earlier on in the week and you sort of said, oh, yeah, I forgot about that myself. Yeah, and, uh, well, and I, yeah, I did. And I, I suppose, in a way, I wouldn't have necessarily considered it dirty, even though it, it is, because cheating is dirty. So I can see where, I can see where you're coming from. It just, it's not a name that instantly came to my head no, when I think dirty no. players. I, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't put him... I mean, I have, but in the same bracket as is Vinnie Jones. But I think there's... If you look at things in a slightly different way, you could just put that as a nation thing as well. It's not just a couple of club names he's been sent off for. He's sort of basically sent a nation packing over over that one decision he's made. It's just a, an interesting way to look at it, I think. Yeah, fair enough. Mm, no, I like that. Thanks, Chris. So uh, my number 10, I've gone for Joey Barton. He's your number 10? Yeah. I'm loving it. I can't wait to see the rest of your list, Dan. <laughs> He's my number three. <laughs> I did <have a> five. <laughs> All right, I'll, um, I'll let you guys uh, talk about that one in due course then. But, <laughs> but yeah, the, the thing that... Um, he only got six red cards, which I thought was a bit surprising. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's there's some stuff that he's doing, which is very incriminating. But I'll, I'll let you guys come on to that in a little bit. Uh, number nine, then, please. <laughs> if Joey Barton got a reaction, um, I've gone Sergio Ramos at number nine. Yeah, OK. <laughs> OK, that's my number two. Fair enough. No, I mean, don't get me wrong, he is... You could argue he's the epitome of dirty, but a lot of what he does is just overly aggressive tackles. Um, I wouldn't... He, he doesn't... Considering other people on my list, he hasn't done anything I'd consider sort of criminal or ridiculously reckless. He does... I mean, he's been booked 222 times, I believe, and something yeah. like eight red cards, 18 second yellows. 
Um, but most of them are literally just because he's a bit over the top sometimes. In, in, kind of a bit like Vinnie Jones. Uh, he hasn't gone out and done stuff like, um, let's say, Suarez, for example, who will probably feature at yeah. some point. That's yeah. why he's so low. Well, I'm going to disagree with you on Ramos. Um, he's, he holds the record for the most red cards in La Liga history with 19. And some of the red cards he's got, he's just kicked the crap out of people. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's not he's, bitten anyone, though, has he? Well, he's, he's just gone out to hurt them and try and get them off the pitch. You see, you see, my slight argument with that is, it's only a slight one, he's had five Al Clasico send, sendings off, which is a record. And also, you've got to go back to the Champions League final against Liverpool with the Salah challenge. Yeah. I mean, if you can't, that is very calculated, cool and calculated in my, my eyes on where you know where your body's going to land. And he's just nicely placed it just on the guys. I knew this was going to cause controversy, but you, <laughs> don't, you're not, you don't know the rest of my list yet. I just hope you've got enough to back it up, mate. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, I'm loving this. This is, this is going to be a good one, isn't it? <laughs> all right, Chris, who's your number nine? I mean, to be honest, in comparison to you guys, mine's just generally like building up slowly, okay? So you've got to – this guy here is going to surprise a lot of you, but I do feel that he's cheated quite a lot in games – but a lot of refs haven't seen it. So I'm going to go with Robbie Savage. Now, he, his disciplinary record isn't majorly bad. He's had 503 appearances, yellow cards, 120, and only been sent off once. But I've watched a few few things with him, and um, I saw especially one game, and that was Wales versus Northern Ireland. And he's a he's a real little sort of bat chatter and everything that can really rile players. I mean, in comparison to my other ones I've got, I think I've got a good enough argument. I mean that with the way it was Northern Ireland match, he got Michael Hughes sent off. Basically, he's ran down the line and he's gone a bit rough onto Michael Hughes. Michael Hughes has then sort of reacted, which he shouldn't have, similar to your boy versus um, Bournemouth last week. And Savage has gone down like a sack of spuds, the normal hands over the eyes. But you, can, you can just see that he's got up straight away after the guy's done done it and been sent off for violent conduct. I just, just think he plays over the line a lot of the times, but he's never been found out. All right. Oh, that's definitely one that surprised me. I thought so. I thought it would. That's the one I considered. Oh, you see. Uh, I look way up slightly differently to you, to you guys, but if you put Ramos at number nine, then I dread to think what the others are going to be. It's my yeah. opinion, mate. <laughs> Go on then, Dan. Throw me with another one. <laughs> well, yeah, here's another one for you then. My number nine, I've gone for Luis Suarez. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> oh. So I'm getting a little bit higher up. I had him at number two. Uh, he's my number one. All right, okay. well, we'll come on to that then when we get to your number one, Chris. I think that's fair. So you've got you've got obviously Barton as your number ten. Yeah. And Suarez as your number nine. Okay, which I've got a funny feeling I know where you're going with this. 
which is going to be great. But can you just confirm for the listeners why they're that low, if that's all right? Well, as, as we get a little bit higher up on the list, there's um, some serious on-the-field disciplinary problems. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of people with broken legs as a result of some actions by people on this list. Um, and I'd say that Suarez and Barton are probably not so guilty of those things. No, fair yeah, enough. I mean, Suarez taking a chunk out of people's arms instead. Well, he had a nibble, didn't he? But, yeah, okay. yeah, we'll touch on Suarez later. Okay, well, we're on to number eight now, then. And? Uh, Roy Keane. Right. I'll just leave in the room now, lads, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Okay, number, he's my number five. He's my number three. Wow, okay. Uh, why is he that low, Andy? The way my list has kind of gone is I've looked at all the really serious incidents they've all had and ranked them on that. And Keane only really had one serious incident, which was obviously poor old Alfinger Harland. And I think oh. as as my list goes on, some of the other players have had more and more serious incidents. I'm not saying they're as bad as Keane's, but they've had more. That's kind of where I'm coming from with this list. Yeah, all right. I Which is why Ramos is so low because he, he's not really. Yes, he does a lot of he does a lot of serious challenges and injures people, but he, he's he's not he's not ended many people's careers or bitten people or you know whatever else. Don't get people writing in. Um, no, you said. <laughs> okay, well we'll we'll discuss that in a bit. Yeah, I'll let I'll let you guys do keen. Uh, Chris, number eight. Okay, have any of you ever heard of Harold Schumacher before? Uh, yes. <laughs> I know yeah. the name. 1982 semi-final. One all at the time. Platini plays an absolute fantastic through ball to Patrick Battinson, who then chips it or plays it round the goalkeeper, on Russian goalkeeper. This goalkeeper then collides heavily with this guy, knocks him unconscious, um, forces him out of the game, two missing teeth, two cracked ribs, vertebrae, uh, no foul given by the referee, no card given, obviously. Um, what happened then, though, is it is quite eerie because the, he then runs straight back to be on his line. He doesn't see whether this guy's okay. I mean, this guy's in a bad way. Platini was interviewed a few years later after after this, and he actually thought he died because of the colour this guy, poor guy's got. It then goes to penalties because it ends up being three all, and this goalkeeper then saves two penalties in the shootout <laughs> to give them the win and send them into the final as well. Um, so obviously the it all gets dissected afterwards and Schumacher said afterwards that um, that's no problem. I'll pay for the crowns to be replaced on his teeth. I just found the whole thing pretty bizarre. I mean, if you look at it in slow motion, this guy's nowhere near the ball. He's gone straight in with his elbow at this guy's face, landed the perfect people's elbow on this guy's head and is just... And, it's beggar's belief how he hasn't got anything off this. He was actually voted by the French public 
as being the most hated man, German man, ahead of Adolf Hitler. <laughs> That's yeah. how much this guy's hated. Yeah. The only other thing he didn't mention is that this the guy went into a coma from the injuries. Oh, yeah. And his, his comments about the crowns of the teeth was after that. So he had no remorse whatsoever. No remorse. And it was completely intentional. He just took him out so he couldn't score. And he didn't yeah. care how much damage he did to the guy. Right, so my number eight was Vinnie Jones, which we've already touched on. Number seven, then, Ann. I've gone for Big Duncan Ferguson. Oh, OK. <laughs> so, obviously, he... Even before he moved to Everton, he got um, he, had, he had a three month stint behind bars because he headbutted the Wraith Rovers uh, defender, <laughs> and then, <laughs> which earned him the kind of the nickname Duncan Disorderly. Um, and then he ended up going to Everton. He got sent off uh, eight times. There's one memorable confrontation with Dan. Might remember this was when he throttled Stefan Freund of Leicester. <laughs> I I remember that, and his eyes were just like de- the devil. Well, they're, they're like that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, it all kind of peaked in February 2006 when he got sent off for punching Wiggins' Paul Sharma. He's been on the pitch seven minutes. And just knocked him out. <laughs> he was, <laughs> yeah, he was, he was just, he was just a big thug and a big bully, really. Yeah. yeah. To, to, to serve prison time for headbutting another football player, that. That's next level. Even Vinnie Jones, I don't think, achieved that. <laughs> right, Chris, who have you got number seven? Number seven, Pepe. I've picked Pepe at number six. Cool. He, well, he didn't beat on the list. He was considered, though. His record's pretty disgusting anyway. But he only got sent off six times or in his current career. Um, but he's just such a dirty player. I just remember, like... How how he used to be, just the like you said we were talking about before, just the the little cheeky challenges, the old school sort of probably raking of the Achilles, and I mean out of all the matches he's got, he's been in four hundred and twenty nine yellow cards, one hundred and thirteen yellow cards, and six red cards. Like I said, the majority of these have actually come from his red. Real Madrid career, um, but he still managed to appear for Bastidas recently nine times. He's been booked four times. I mean, that's a one every other game. Yeah, I mean, can you add any more onto that, Dan? Yeah, and um, to be honest, the reason he's number six on my list is for one incident in particular. I don't know if you've seen his red card against Getafe. No. Well, what happened? Um, you can see this on YouTube. Uh, basically, he, he pushed the guy to the floor when he was through on goal. And as he was landing on the floor and sliding across the ground, he sort of caught up with him and kicked him in the back of the legs, in the hamstring area. And then he continued running towards him and kicks him again in the back. And then while the guy's on the floor writhing in pain, he kneels on his back and holds him down and shouts at him. And then he gets up and stands on his leg. <laughs> There's four different reasons to send him off. He absolutely lost it. He went nuts. And then he, um, two of the Gatafi players uh, confronted him and he punched both of them in the face and they had to be dragged off the pitch. It's just, it's just a ridiculous character. So my number seven, I've gone for Paolo Montero. Oh, yeah. 
Juventus. Centre back at Juventus and for Uruguay. So he um, he was quite well known for his uh, aggressive tackling and general underhanded tactics. He holds the record for the most red cards in Serie A history with 16. And he got sent off 21 times in his career in total. And uh, yeah, he, he just wasn't afraid to put an elbow or a head somewhere and really get in people's faces. He was uh, described by Ryan Giggs as uh, him and his partner at the back, Ciro Ferrara, as the toughest defenders he ever played against and added that uh, they were very hard in their challenges. He was just a very hard and ruthless, aggressive defender. So much like Ramos, really. Yeah, good choice. All right, on to number six then. Uh, I've gone Ben Thatcher. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, obviously, he was part of a Wimbledon team. They've always been notoriously uh, a bit, bit, bit tough. Um, he, whilst at Wimbledon, he elbowed Sunderland's Nicky Summerby in the head. Um, and it saw him banned for two matches following a video review. Then in 2006, he elbowed Pedro Mendes of Portsmouth in the head that left the Portuguese guy unconscious and uh, in need of medical attention. Um, thankfully, he was... He did make a full recovery, but uh, Thatcher was actually investigated by um, Greater Manchester Police as an aggravated assault. Wow. All right, Chris, who was your number six? Diego Costa. His career has been sort of blemished for for various uh, violent or sort of violent outbursts. Um, His all-time career has had five red cards. For a striker, he's had... 117 yellow cards and that's that's pretty hefty amount to be honest um, followed had a few incidents um, whilst he was playing for Chelsea 2016 alleged bite on Gareth Barry again I don't know where that came from because Gareth Barry himself said there was no bite but he still got had to go towards the FA panel I mean in, in his um, Chelsea career played 120 games he had 32 yellow cards and one red card again striker wise that's pretty bad he, he used to know exactly what how to wind people up was it Costa who uh, was banned for eye gouging that's correct yeah I've never I've never seen another footballer banned for that that's pretty horrific so my number six was Pepe. Number yeah. five now. Who did you have at five, Ant? I had uh, Joey Barton. Okay. Anything else you've got to add that we haven't spoke about already? Um, no, only there was a few notable instances that I came across um, with him. Was he, he did a wild challenge on Chabi Lonzo in 2009. Um, in 2010, Morton Gams-Pedersen was down needing assistance and or when the ref wasn't looking Barton starts punching in the chest and then obviously in 2012 we all remember Barton getting sent off for QPR against Man City in, in that, that game yeah elbowing Carlos Tevez uh, did he leave the field quietly? no he um, kicked Sergio Aguero and then squared up to Vincent Company. he actually need Aguero and he head butted company it was an eight-match fan. These are former teammates of him, aren't they? Yeah. I know. 
I think there was another incident as well where he um, assaulted a teammate in a training ground incident. Uh, yeah. He and um, he was given a four-month suspended prison sentence for actual bodily harm. <laughs> he then assaulted a Rangers defender, Andy Halliday, when he played for them. And then he put on a fake French accent when he signed for Marseille. I mean, that's a part of itself. Exactly. Okay, Chris, who did you have at number five? Mr. Roy Keane. I, it's just that revenge attack on Haaland. It, it's just another level, isn't it? It's really is. I mean, four years afterwards, after the original attack, and I, I looked at the footage when the original injury happened with Keane and Haaland, and I, I, it did look, it sort of looked a lot innocuous. Have you seen the challenge? It looked a bit sort of that they just clashed legs. And then obviously Haaland said his thing, and then brought, I mean, Keane's just waited to the 93rd minute or whatever at Old Trafford, scores one all, and he just went at that knee, didn't he? And said, F off to him with a stronger language, obviously, and walked off. It's just a calculated attack, isn't it? I mean, if you did that on the street, it would be, you'd be serving time in prison. Yeah, I, I, I think it should have been. I think it should have been investigated, uh, especially uh, in light of the book he released, where he's talked openly about how he was exactly that, calculated and done very much on purpose as yeah. an act of revenge. Total obsession with him to get, get that guy back. He just hated to have someone over him and he just attacked him. Yeah. Yeah, he's number five. I mean, it's a very... I mean, to be honest, my five to one, like, you know, a lot of them anyway, but it's very tight between them all. I think my nine to one was pretty tight, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Number five, I went for Sergio Ramos, uh, which we talked about. And who do you have at number four? Uh, El Hadj Juice. Okay. I've kind of changed tact here. Um... He's not dirty in that he went out and assaulted people, but he, he did something which I cannot stand, and that's spitting at people. And he's been charged for it on several occasions. And that's why he's so high up. He's dirty in that respect. He's just, he was just a, just a vile creature, if I'm being honest with you. Um, so in 2003, he was charged with assault and two weeks' wages for spitting at a Celtic fan. So we all remember that one. Yeah. Uh, 2004, he was charged with spitting at a Middlesbrough fan. And then the same year, Bolton charged him with spitting at, a Port- at Portsmouth captain um, Arjan Dizou. And then, again, in February 2004, he received a four-match ban after aggravated dissent towards a referee during Senegal's Cup- African Cup of Nations. He was just, just a horrible character. He was. Yeah. I'm embarrassed he's ever worn a Liverpool shirt. <laughs> right. So, Chris, here's your number four. Mine's Kevin Muscat. He's just a vile, vile defender. Um, there's basically YouTube videos just of his challenges. I mean, there's just dozens and dozens. I was ploughing through I've, them this morning. I've actually got him at number one. Really? Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It's so tight that between the... I mean, there's one challenge that he does in um, the Australian League where he actually gets an eight-match eight ban. And he... Um, he causes serious injury to the poor guy uh, called Adrian uh, Zara, Maltese international. And he literally went 
went for the knee and the poor lad had a serious injury from it. I mean, it, um, he was dubbed the most hated man in football as well yeah. by many yeah. people. Yeah. Um, but I think Martin Grain, Granger at, at Birmingham at the time. Uh, he's got, I've got here 123 yellow cards, 12 red cards, probably more. Yeah, I've got about the same. I mean, he, he's got a rap sheet longer than some criminals. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's had five match bans for a tackle from behind um, on Ashley Board um, at uh, Sheffield United, which then caused a melee afterwards. He's caused serious injuries to Craig Bellamy, Christoph Dugary in an international and Matt Holland, and I think Matt Holland took him to court. No, um, Matty Holmes. Matty Holmes, sorry. Not Matty Holland. Matty Holmes actually yeah, took him Matt, to Matty Holmes actually won a lawsuit um, for him for a tackle back in 98. Uh, at one point, it looked like Matty Holmes might actually lose a leg. Yeah. Yeah, he's... he's uh, I'll do my bit now, because I, I, I imagine you two might have the same number one, but... Um, yeah, like Chris said, it, it's just never ending. He used to get, he never used to get picked for old firm derbies because they were frightened he was going to get sent off. He got sent off uh, nine minutes against Grimsby for elbowing a player in the face. Got three match ban. He got sent off for stamping on Watford's Danny Webber, in which Mill chief executive came out and said he'd be sacked if he didn't clean up his act. And then later on, Ashley Young, who replaced Webber in that game said that Muscat threatened to break his legs if he ran past him. And then we've got Matty Holmes, who we spoke about. Ashley Ward, we spoke about. He was the first ever A-League player to appear for a FFA disciplinary hearing, suspended for two games. He got in a fight with Adelaide coach in 2006. Uh, he got stamped on someone in 2009. 2010, he elbowed someone. 2011, he elbowed another player. First match back from that suspension, he got suspended for eight games for reckless tackle. He's just a thug. Just, just goes on and on. We've only we've only just we've only just gone off the the top, the icing of the cake, mate. Yeah, yeah we have. And that's, that's why I put the number one because it's I've I've done notes and I was like, I'm about two pages. Suarez yeah. only got about half a page. Wow, you've opened my eyes. I wasn't aware of any of that stuff really. Well, our YouTube channel is just for his challenges. I swear. His Wikipedia page goes on forever. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Go on then, Dan. Right. My number four. I've gone for Gerardo Bedoya. I know the uh, name. Is this the, the, the highest ever amount of red cards anyone's ever got? I think so. He's a Colombian player. He managed to yeah. get 46 red cards. Yeah. Uh, playing for 13 different clubs across Colombia and Argentina. <laughs> um, he, he was a decent player, though. He, he did play for Colombia and he won the Copa America with them in 2001. So he wasn't just a lower league thug. He was a, he was a good player as well. But, um, yeah, 46 red cards. That's uh, an obscene amount. And the one that really caught my eye was his uh, 41st red card where he was playing in the uh, Bogota derby for Santa Fe against Millionaires. And um, he elbowed a player in the head and the referee immediately sent him off. And um, he was a bit frustrated at this decision, so he went over and kicked the player in the head again. 
Yes, I saw that one on YouTube today. Just absolutely obscene. And um, he, um, he got a 15 main ban for that offence. All right, that's my number four. Um, who's number three then for you, Ant? And Doni Goikoix, however you say it, you can say it better than I can. can. Goikoix. That's the one, Goikoix. Yeah, he's my number two. Is he on your list, Chris? No, because I couldn't pronounce him. I'm only joking. No, I looked at him, but I was honest because I didn't really know anything about him until you looked at this sort of thing. Yeah, go on, So... You have to remember that he played for he was his nickname was the Butcher of Bilbao. Obviously, he played for Athletic Bilbao. Um, them and Barcelona hated each other back in the eighties. They were very envious of Barcelona's flair and all this. So uh, Goico, as he's known uh, and short, him and his fellow defenders, they used to just pretty much commit GBH on the pitch to make sure they kept a clean sheet. And uh, Barcelona rocked up in 1981, and Bernd Schuster, you might know, German tricky winger. Blonde-haired guy, yeah. Yeah, he, he tried to dribble past Goico. Goico was having none of it and just clattered him at knee height. Uh, there goes his ACL, gone. He's out for the rest of the season. And then two years later, the teams cross again. And Schuster was up for it. He's like, oh, I'm going to get my revenge on Goiko. So he went and clattered Goiko. Unfortunately, it didn't injure him. <laughs> so Goiko gets up like a ball to a red flag. And it's just tunnel vision like, oh, where's Schuster? I'm going to, I'm going to nail him again. Maradona steps in and says, calm down, mate. You're losing 3-0. You know, let it, let it go. And Goiko just snaps and he's like, right, I'm going after you, Maradona. And Maradona gets the ball on halfway line and Goico just from behind just absolutely takes him out completely. And Maradona came out and said it was like wood snapping and the sound. He got um amazingly he only got a yellow card, but later on the Spanish FA came out and said, Well, we'll issue you with an eighteen game man was unfortunately lowered on appeal. And uh he actually has that boot that injured Maradona in a glass case. Which is weird. It's just weird. It's sociopathic. Yeah, and uh, he's number two on my list. Um, he has that glass case and he refers to it affectionately as the boot he used to destroy Maradona's ankle ligaments. After Maradona recovered, the two teams met again in the 84 Spanish Cup final. And at the end of the game, there was a, a big brawl on the pitch. And during the brawl, he uh, kicked Maradona in the chest. So he's got a very violent history. Right, so Chris. Yes. Uh, my number three was Jerry Barton, which we've already commented on. Okay. Um, my number three, I had Roy Keane, for that uh, cold and calculated leg breaking act of revenge. And that's uh, not even going, we've not even gone into his bust ups on the pitch with Patrick Vieira and Alan Shearer, where he's punching yeah. people on the pitch. Such a violent player. Didn't he jangle um, Shearer, didn't he? Yeah. And his hands around his neck. Shearer just, he, he was no way he was going to back down as captain. And then Keane just wouldn't back down either and stepped. <laughs> but a hop, skip and a jump over the line, didn't he? 
Yeah, but we've touched on that uh, really. Um, so I think we're on to number two now. Who's your number two, Anne? Uh Luis Suarez. Okay. Yeah, there's no doubt in his quality as a football player, but he's bit a bit. Uh, what's his name? Bakal Cellini Ivanovic. He's got an racism row with Patrice Evra. Um, he's known for diving, known for stamping, and in some ways, going towards Chris's point about the on rehand ball, and I know we all would have done it, but the whole saving that goal for Uruguay in the World Cup, you know, gone and then got a penalty, which then missed. It, you could argue that is cheating. I know, we, like I said, we all would have done it. It's definitely cheating. <laughs> but we'd all do it. We'd all do it. That's an interesting quote from that, actually, mate, because he said, the hand of God belongs to me. Mine is the hand of God. That's what he said afterwards. I mean, if that's not shithousery after the event, then what else would be? I know, I know it's cheating, but you know, it gives it gives you a fifty-fifty chance of going through, doesn't it? You know, yeah. it's going to be a blatant goal. So. I mean, let me put you this this conspiracy theory about his. I mean, I'll put him at number one. I'm not going to, <laughs> you know, but. This whole biting of Cellini, some people have said that obviously at that time he was looking for a move out of Liverpool. Liverpool obviously at that time were going, no, we want you to stay on. And he said, I don't know whether this is true or not, or I'm just hearing off hearsay, that he did that purposely to force force Liverpool's hand because obviously having somebody of an asset that bites people continually and racially abuses people would be bad for them to have a, at the club. I think Liverpool have backed him so much during one bite and racism row that another one probably wouldn't have swayed him that much. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure about it. He's, he's hurting his own reputation. He's trying to get a move to Barcelona. He's, so I, I don't know if I buy that. Go on then, Dan. Not Dan, sorry. Go on then, Dan. What's your... Uh, so... My number two was Goy Kachea. So uh, have we got anyone that we've not mentioned yet on your list? So number two and number one. I apologise. I um, My number two was Ramos. I just skipped them. My number two went to number one. So Have we covered your list, Dan? Yeah, well, my number one is Kevin Muscat. So. All right. So um, this takes me to my number one. And this is a guy that's called Roberto Rojas. Have you heard of this guy? I can't say I have. All right. In uh, 1989, there's a World Cup qualifier between Brazil and Chile. And the way that the qualifying groups were drawn that particular year, it was it worked out that uh, based on matches played previously, Brazil just needed a draw to go through. Chile needed to win. Um, if, if Whoever loses doesn't qualify. Whoever wins goes through. And after 70 minutes... It's 1-0 to Brazil. And then suddenly, a fireworks thrown onto the pitch near the Chile goalkeeper. And he goes down, clutching his face and bleeding. And then some of the Chile officials and teammates, they hurry onto the pitch and they, they walk him back to the... They carry him back to the changing room. And the, cap, the captain or co-captain leads the team off the pitch and the game's essentially abandoned. Now, Brazil players, they weren't happy with this. They claim that um, the blood was simulated and demand that FIFA open an investigation into it. And when they did, they found video evidence showing that the goalkeeper 
cut himself with a razor blade. So he simulated this injury of blood all over his face. And um, the reason he did that was so that uh, Brazil could be blamed for this firework being thrown from their crowd. And they could uh, lose the points for the match. And it was abandoned because of them. So it was all a big, elaborate plan to try and get them disqualified from the World Cup and so that Chile could compete. Uh, Rojas was given a lifetime football ban for his actions. And Chile were disqualified from the 1994 World Cup. They weren't allowed to compete at all. Wow. That's like something from WWE, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's, there's different levels of being dirty. And for me, that's why I put that on number one. Unbelievable. God, I love the South Americans, haven't you? <laughs> That's, that's, you know, that's next level. That's not even um, lasagna gate with Tottenham Arsenal, is it? <laughs> no, that is next level. So, yeah. yeah. Crazy. Wow. Oh, I should add as well that um, upon those findings, Brazil were awarded a 2 0 win for the match. And they did qualify for the World Cup. <laughs> I, I guess you figured that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, brilliant. All right, and are there any honourable mentions? The only other one that came close to making, well, he, he, did, he did make my list, and I took him out again, was um, Felipe Melo. Oh, yeah. Uh, there, there was a challenge I watched on YouTube, which was something close to something out of a Jackie Chan film. So <laughs> he, he went up for the ball, and he managed to get his leg onto the shoulder via this person. I can't remember which player it was. Um, by this person's face managed to rest his leg onto this person's shoulder and he, yeah he looked really upset when he got sent off for it a bit like Nigel de John in the World Cup final yeah yeah, yeah. Well, when he nearly decapitated um, cut Chabby Alonso in half that's the one yeah you got any honourable mentions Chris? thinking of putting possibly uh, Patrick Vieira in there but he wasn't particularly in in that bracket of the 10 that everyone else has said and and I would have. I was looking at probably your Vinnie Joneses as well. What about yourself? Yeah, I did have one. That's a guy called Yannick Kahuzak. He's managed to accumulate 17 red cards in the French League. And in one game, he managed to get a red card because when he was substituted off the pitch, he decided to go and punch the ball that the fourth official was holding up. All right, I think that wraps up the uh, the dirty players. What have you got for his on Warnock watch? Yeah, sure, mate. No worries. It's been a little bit more quiet, quieter than the first episode, but obviously it started so well, didn't it, with a lot of his brilliant quotes. Um, however, I can say his record at the moment as manager is his 1-3, lost four, maybe seven games in charge. They are three points above relegation at the moment. I don't think there's a possibility 
I think they've got a slightly better goal difference as I'm looking at it now with regards to um, them getting relegated. So I think they're more or less going to stay up. Actually, I'm mistaken. Uh, they're actually two points above the drop as we're looking at it now. From what we've heard, he's he's in negotiations to continue for another year. So I think that would take him into his 72nd year on this earth. <laughs> They've got him a new nickname called Mr. Ron Sill. Um, <laughs> okay. Is there an explanation behind that? Uh, he likes to glue teams to back together again. <laughs> right. Um, Probably Bostick would have been more appropriate rather than Ron Sill. Um, there's actually something that's gone out on, on Twitter where these lads are in, in a van and they see a bloke cycling up a hill and they were like, hey, oh, mate, it, it's it's Warnock. And I think he cycles to work. And um, obviously they slowed down the van and they, they, they put the, the phone to him and said, oh, you're all right, Warnock? Yeah, yeah, yes, mate, I'm all right. Yeah, bye, bye. So somebody asked uh, Warnock whether this was true, and he said, yes, that was me. It's not a club bike. I had to pay for it myself. It's on hire, though. You think that I'll get sponsored for my own bike at this age? <laughs> um, he then said, he got to the top of the pub, Black Ball, and after a few people came to chat, they saw, they saw me that I had the training kit on. Um, but I think they recognise me because of my big nose. <laughs> you, just, you just can't believe it, you know. Like the Watford penalty just before half time a few weeks ago, 1 0 down, you know, could have been 8 1 each, and the ref apologises after. The most certain penalty I've ever seen. What goes through your mind? You don't know. Is it me? Or the, you know, is it payback time for me over the years? They might think, let's get him out of the way. I don't, honestly don't know, but. Um, you know, the best world, best league in the world and probably the worst officials at the minute. I don't know what Mike Riley does with the alignment because if you can't see that clearly, there's something wrong with you, really. Um, we've had some comments from the Stuart and Al pod that they're enjoying War Not Watch at the moment. So hopefully they can, they'll continue to like it. Um, I have, about socials anyway, I, I worked over a Twitter post for any... Um, ideas for any of the top lists and I've got a couple first one is at Will uh, Rivard 2 he thought of maybe like a top 10 kits so I thought oh, yeah, idea, but the problem with that is that it's a bit visual isn't it and we're doing a podcast yeah like Dan says it, it's hard to visualise a kit maybe yeah. we would all do it and just put it on Twitter or something I don't know yeah we could do yeah. something that I can work it onto Twitter. Um, then, uh, then Chris Kelly said top ten refereeing howlers or top ten World Cup shocks. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, final one we got is from the kicker out pod. Top ten almost goals, goals that weren't given or were heroically saved that would have swayed the results in a huge way. Mm. That would be an interesting one. Not much research, to, uh, research task, but it's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Please, if you do have any other ideas, just uh, whack it over to us. The email address is var at the bar twenty twenty at gmail dot com. 
obviously like Twitter as well, VA at the bar uh, one or face or even Facebook, which is VR, VAR at the bar. Great. Lovely. Thanks for that, Chris. Yeah, probably for a quiz. Oh, God. So a quiz. So what's the score we got here? What's the scores on the doors? So I'm leading the charge on four points. Ant's on two, and you're on one. No, it's a relegation to this one, isn't oh. it? <laughs> <laughs> right then. So um, fingers on the buzzers for this one. Which Brazilian club did Pele play for? Sao Paulo. No. Corinthians. No. Botafogo. No. Boca Juniors. <laughs> no, that's an Argentine club. <laughs> I don't know. Grêmio. No. Oh, this is a good start. That's <laughs> <laughs> a bit easy one. Oh. Played for his old career, didn't he, as well? Apart from the US move at the end, but yeah, he only played for no. one Brazilian club. Um, Begins with an S. Santos. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I got there at the end. <laughs> I've just left the building now. <laughs> I knew it began with an S. That's why I said Sao Paulo so quickly. Yeah. Uh, it just happens, doesn't it? All right, so that's one nil to Chris. Fine, I've been uh, behind Chris before. I'll come back. Oh, uh, All right, question number two. Who is the oldest outfield player to play in the Premier League this season? Billy Sharp. No. Fernandinho? No. James Milner? No. He's 37. Last summer, he moved to a newly promoted club. 37. And a couple of episodes back, this player was ranked on one of Chris's lists. Oh, my God. Top Don't say players that. Outside the, outside the top six. Oh, oh no, now you put the pressure on me. I can't remember who came up. Uh, my mind's gone blank. Jaggy Elka. Oh. Jaggy Elka is correct. Yes. United. Damage. Well done, Ant. Uh, some serious thinking going on there. Well done. Oh, I think I've made these too hard now. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's quarter to midnight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question three. Who won the golden boot with six goals at the 2018 World Cup? Harry Kane. Harry Kane is correct. That one's gone to Ant. So Ant is 2-1. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know it's funny because um, we had a question on the last podcast where it was what's the name of David Beckham's new team yeah and Chris gave that to me but when you listen to back, when you listen back to it on the pod it's definitely Ant's voice that came through first oh <laughs> well <laughs> I don't know whether he did say it first or I did and it's just the way it's recorded because you're closer to the recording device obviously VAR. <laughs> <laughs> question four. So Chris asked a style of question last week where he asked someone to sort of uh, wager a number of how many correct guesses they could put on this question. So I want you to do the yeah. same thing. So just hold fire for the moment. Yeah. I'm going to ask you, how many players can you name who have been sent off twice in the Premier League this season? 
I'm going to go to Chris first on that to say how many players he can name. Twice. Jesus. Um, I'll go with one. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Ants, can you do better on one? Uh, yeah, so I'll go, I'll go two. Chris, you're going to go three or are you going to make Ant this two? I'm going to make Ant go with the two. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've thought my one. David Luiz, correct. Fernandinho, correct. Well done. Oh, I had David Luiz in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> right, the other two were Christian Cabasoli. Oh God, okay. And um, Watson. Son. Top really? Son. Yeah. All right, so Ant, you're three-one up. Oh, how many more questions left, Dan? We've had four out of 11. All right. This question is the same style of question. The question is, how many clubs can you name that Johnny Evans has played for? So that goes to Ant first this time. How many, how many clubs can you name that Johnny Evans has played for? There's, there's five clubs in total. Four. All right, Chris, can you name all five, or are you going to make Ant name four? And you're going to name four, mate. I can't. <laughs> I don't know if I'm Man United. Yep. Leicester. Yep. Sunderland. Yep. Oh, God. Um, West Brom. Yes. Well done. Well done. The other club was Royal Antwerp. Yeah, I wouldn't have got that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so 4-1 to Ant now. Come on, Chris. Right, from here on out, it's the traditional style of listing clubs that players have played for. It's the first person to shout out the player's name. Yeah. Right, Le Mans... Guingamp, Marseille, Chelsea, Shanghai Shenzhou, Galatasaray, Chelsea, Montreal Impact, Phoenix Rising. Maluda? No. Joppa? Correct. Oh, of course. All right, question eight. Figuienze, Hoffenheim, Liverpool. Firmino. Yeah. All right, number nine. Everton, Sampdoria, Valencia, Arsenal. Mustafi? Correct. Well done, Chris. You were at Everton? Yeah. Oh, shout. Question 10. Reading, Tooting and Mitcham, Cheltenham Town, Southampton, Colchester United, Sheffield Wednesday, Nottingham Forest, West Ham United. Michael Antonio. Correct. All right, and the final question. Nuorize, Torres, Napoli, Parma, Chelsea, Calgary. Zola? Correct. Oh, I was just about to say Zola. <laughs> <laughs> Scores are tied at 5 5. Oh, <laughs> River Plate, Corinthians, West Ham United. Tevez. Nope. Mascarano. Yeah. I didn't draw the two. <laughs> <laughs> and wins. 
Oh dear. Now, four, three, one. Close to the top again. It's all right, Chris, you're up against Dan next week. I know, you need, you need me to do you a favour now. <laughs> well done, Dan. So I think that wraps up another episode. Sure does. All right, well, thank you very much for listening. And bye-bye from me. Ciao. See you in a bit. Sports Social Podcast Network.